Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode features a really good friend of mine. Matt Teeden goes to Indiana University for audio engineering, and he's here on the podcast today to talk about his pursuits in photography, DJing, and music production, which he's going to talk a little bit about at the end of the podcast. Uh, before we get going, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at John Crafty Pod. It's the Who Are You People podcast. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation I have with Matt today. So, all right, Matt, when did you start doing what you're doing now? What do you do now? And when did you start doing what led you to do what you're doing now? That was very vague. All right, so <laughs> no, I'm do? kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so. Uh, what I'm doing now, I'm studying audio engineering and music production at Indiana University in Bloomington. Go Hoosiers. Got to love it. Um, and then on the side, I'm also, uh, I take a lot of photos for a lot of bands. Um, uh, and I do some videography, a little bit of media design kind of stuff. And I have a team of people that I work with as well. But all that started sophomore year of high school when I saw that... Um, my school had a electronic music course, so I took it. I was like, this is kind of cool because I had dabbled around with GarageBand before. And when I took it, I absolutely fell in love. We started working on Logic, which is the so – for people who don't know, it's a, uh, it's a music creation software. And that's kind of what I've stuck with um, even up until this point. That's what we're using right now to record this. Um, but – uh, so that's what we learned. I took two, uh, two years of it and then decided hundred percent. That's what I wanted to do. Since then I've realized that audio is, um, super small and kind of saturated. So to be, uh, to, to get a lot of jobs being an audio engineer, you also have to have other skills as well. That's why I got into video and uh, photo as well. So what did you start with? Uh, like how do you break into photography? Cause you didn't do that. I met you coincidentally sophomore year of high school. You did. When you started doing all this. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and even, you know, at the beginning, I did not do any, any, any photography. Right. Um, that just wasn't in the gamut of skills that I had. Um, so going into my um, sophomore year of college, I had uh, taken a multimedia course online, just a 101 style course. And the artist Christian French uh, was actually in that course. Um, he's now currently, I believe, in L.A. Um, he just made a song with Hoodie Allen. He toured with Chelsea Cutler. Um, he's doing amazing things. Um, we got to get Hoodie Allen on the podcast. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and, uh, and get get Christian in here. Um, anyway, so it was super cool. And I had never heard of him until he was in my class. And he said, like, hey, I can't wait till this class is over. Like, we were like, why? What's up? I mean, like, yeah, the class kind of sucked, but, <laughs> and, um, but he was like, yeah, cause like right after this, I'm dropping out and going on tour with Chelsea Cutler. And we were like, that is absolutely crazy. Yeah. And you hear a lot of people be just saying that they're artists and whatnot, but you know, they're kind of serious when they are dropping out to go on tour with an artist that I had heard of Chelsea Cutler with visionary music group. Cause two of my favorite artists, logic and, um, John Bellion are also on visionary. So, um, I, I offered him, I was like, Hey, I am trying to get into, uh, videography. Um, and I know that your first show is a weekend that I'm free in Tennessee. Um, 
and if you want me to show up and um, I can shoot it for you, put together a little edit for promo, and it can be part of my of 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 my projects that I can use to get more clients and whatever, and just get more video gigs. Cause I was really trying to get into it. Um, and long story short, it didn't end up happening. Um, but in that time that um, that I was kind of waiting for an answer, I grinded every single day. I bought my first camera, my 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 own first camera. I had always been using my my mom's old Canon T two I. So I had bought my first camera, the Panasonic G seven, a couple lenses, and all this video gear. Um, so. And the the thought of having such a high level prospect in the future, um, even though I knew that I wasn't big into videography in terms of skill and passion, yes, um, but there there was something about having that end goal that made me drive every single day, so that if it did happen, I would go in and not only make him proud but make myself proud with how much I had learned in the past two and a half three months. Um, and so that really in that time, I learned way more than I should have watched way, way more YouTube than I should have. Um, but that's what really dove me into the world of cameras. And now that I've kind of moved away from video and more towards photo, um, I've still kept that passion, um, for camera technology, for, for digital photography and stuff like that. So that's kind of a long story, but that's what really, really got me into, um, into photo and video. And that was only about a year, was it a year or two years ago? That was, was last spring that you were in that course online with Christian. Yes. And that that tour was would last have been year August, actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was, was last year. About this time last year that you would have been going to shoot for him. Um, yes. So it was a period of like six months beginning of 2018 when you were just grinding, learning this stuff. Exactly. So it's like I had, I had talked to him, uh, I think maybe late June, early July of 2018. Um, and the show was September of 2018. So I had, it was actually only like three months. Um, since then I, I got my first paid video gig, um, in November got my first paid photo gig um, late in November. And since then, I basically shoot um, bands at, um, at, at bars and clubs around, around town probably two to four nights a week um, pretty, pretty, pretty consistently. Okay. So you had like three months of really aggressive self-teaching, and then you got back to Bloomington in Indiana, hit the ground running. And, and really – Just from that point, it's been – Really put it to use. Damn. And throughout that entire process, once you got back to school, you were still doing DJ stuff? Yeah. So uh, one of my buddies, Oli, out at school, um, he knows a lot of people um, that are in Greek life, and uh, those are most of our gigs. We do their formals, their date parties, and their philanthropies. So that's, I'd say, our number one kind of like large-scale client demographic is um, Greek life. And we're really trying to um, expand and pick up um, like more and more gigs at more and more houses. And our goal this year is to have, um, four gigs a month. So just one gig every single weekend. And that'll be, uh, like 
great money and great exposure. And is that the type of thing that sort of ramps up slowly, or did his connections in Greek life just sort of instantly get you to the point where you had a lot of gigs on campus all the time? Um, it was pretty instant. So after my uh, the fall of my freshman year, I took the spring semester off, and he invited me back for one DJ gig in April, um, which was actually my first paid DJ gig ever, and I was um, absolutely terrified, but I loved it. And from that point on, um, word got around just from that one sorority and the following, so that was spring, the following fall when I went back to school, um, I think that fall we had nine gigs. What's like the scale of stuff that you do? Like how big Um, of a gig have you done since you started? How big is a sorority? I don't know. 200 people. people. I mean, cause it's. It's a sorority, all the girls, or most of the girls, plus um, plus plus dates and stuff. I think there's maybe... Could be 300 people. Yeah, I mean, I... So nothing huge. No, no, nothing crazy. So nothing crazy. what's, like, something that's always kind of interested me is, like, what's the difference in terms of DJing between something that you do, where it's sort of small crowds, um, events that are sort of localized versus... Um, like if you were to go to a festival uh, and there were DJs at something like that, like what's the difference between what you're doing and what they're doing? Is it the same? Is it even remotely related? It's a good question. Um, and we have actually, we, we talked about this earlier today just for a few minutes and we're like, wait, let's save it. Let's (laughs) save it for when we record. Um, I'd say one of the biggest differences that I see beyond obviously money, the, size of the crowd, the size of the system. Um, like the, the, the entire process is different. You need to know so many people. There's so much preparation that goes into those big festival gigs. But I'd say the number one thing that stands out to me as a small DJ is that I always have free reign, 99% of the time, have free reign to read the crowd and play what I want and I can be creative with it. I feel like as your gigs get bigger and bigger and bigger, there hits a point where at some point someone's going to ask you, hey, what songs are you playing and in what order are you playing them? Because they need to know for pyro, for lights, for visuals, stuff like that. So I feel like there's at, at that point, you're kind of trading um, your ability to be creative with it. While you can create your mixes, you're not doing it on the fly, which is um most of what I love about DJing is just doing it on the fly. Sort of um, a spontaneous kind of aspect to it. Exactly. Yeah. So what you're trading for that, though, is crazy money, crazy crowds. Effects. Like major effects, yeah. um, huge media presence. And so I can't say this for sure, but my guess is that huge DJs must still love doing small shows where they can really just like spin the discs and just do whatever they want on the fly, stuff like that, because probably most of what they're used to is having a, 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 a set list that pyro visuals and lights are following along with. So uh, a kid that I work with, John, I talk to him. We get lunch pretty much every day at work, and he does special effects throughout New England. He actually just got, I don't know if he's going to be able to take off the work for it, but he just got a call yesterday to go to Nevada and do Burning Man. 
Um, Yo. He does he does pyro special effects. He started in lighting. He did he d- he DJs a lot as well. That's wild. Yeah. So he does tons of. It's mostly in New England, but he's gone up and down the East Coast, and he's going to Nevada. I think for the first time, if he can take the time off work to go do it. Does he have uh, a company, or is September. it just him, or does he like own uh, or work a for company. a company? He starts it. It's his. He like does everything, but has other people that work with him because you can't do all of that stuff. But he's not at the point where he's doing yeah, multiple totally. shows at the same time. A big company that does something like that. Um, I was just talking to him today. He's like, yeah, this at a large scale, you can be in New York City and do one company can do 70 shows in a night. Um, it's a fact. Yeah, so he has been doing a lot of that sort of like small to medium scale stuff right now and actively growing. And he says that not, at least in the stuff that he's doing, I can't really speak for huge festivals, but... Um, the pyro and the lighting, although there's sort of a laid out show, it's not necessarily all timed to one thing. Like there is freedom in when stuff happens. Huh. So I don't know how that plays into DJing like huge. Honestly, same here. Um, I know it's not laid out like second by second. It's always triggered by someone, um, so it's like if the if the DJ makes a transition four bars late or four bars early, the rest of the show won't be four bar four bars late or four bars early. Um but there there definitely is structure to it. Um and that's and that's actually really cool that um like Pyro and Lighting and Visuals now has like some creative free reign because I don't really know a lot about that that industry. I've started to get into small um DMX universe lighting. Um, specifically just for my shows. Um, but other than that, I, I, I haven't really looked into it much. Um, has, have you talked to him at all about, um, about his different perspectives on DJing since running a company like that? I have not. I know he's in a fraternity at RIT. Um, I'm not sure he DJs all his own parties or for the most part he does. He's been doing it since I think seventh or eighth grade. Um, so he's very talented at what he does, I guess. He's kind of proud of, like, the events that they put on on campus. Um, but I don't know, I don't think he's done any DJing at big things. He would only know about it from sort of the back end of everything. Oh. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention. That's crazy that he's so young doing that stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming he's like 21, 22, 23. he He just turned 21 last week. Yeah. That's he's so ahead of the game. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he wants to. I mean, we're working the same job. He has the same position that I am. He's also at Mercury Systems. Yeah, he, he's also in school for I think electrical engineering, um, either computer or electrical engineering, something similar to what I'm doing. And he's just all hustle all the time. I mean, he works 40, 50 hour weeks at Mercury and then works 150 hours over the weekend. There's 128 hours in a week. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. I was like, I was it. like doing the math in my head. I'm like, wait, that's like two and a half days for the twins. 20. Wait. I, <laughs> no, I want to get him on the podcast. I want to talk to him. He said that he'd be down to do it. in one of these like earlier episodes that we're sort of recording right now to figure out kind of how, how it's all going to cool. work out. Can I just sit in and ask questions? Oh yeah, for sure. That's awesome. For I sure. would, if we can get it before you, you head back to school, then yeah. Which but is actually so happening busy. a couple days later now. I had the schedule for school completely off. I was five days early. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, we'll try to figure something out. I'll yeah, try to I work would, out with him. I Again, would, he's really busy because he works more hours in a weekend than there are in a week. So Yeah. Um I would I would love to just like sit in and talk to him a little bit. Seems like a cool guy. Yeah, we'll try to get a little convo going. For sure. Um the other thing I wanted to bring up is so what about um like if you go to a club, you know, there could be a big club could have a couple thousand people at it, but it's not the scale of like a a huge DJ concert. Is that do do the DJs at clubs have free reign over what they're doing completely? It seems like they do. Typically, yes. It seems yes. like they're doing whatever they want, and they really are vibing with the crowd that's there. Typically, yes. And there would be a light DJ or like a, like a lighting tech um, that basically needs the the same skills as a DJ, just applied in a different way. Reading the still reading the crowd, still reading the music figuring out flow of energy with the lights and they have an entire board of, of hot cues and scene presets um, and, and stuff like that to create the visuals on the fly. And the, the, and the, the, the DJ might go to the, to, to the lighting tech and say, Hey, when I play this song at the drop, I absolutely want this, that, and the other. I want, I want strobes until this beat and then blah, 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 blah. But the entire thing typically isn't planned out. Um, there's usually someone who's doing it on the fly, just like the DJ. Okay. Yeah. Cause it seems like, I mean, obviously when you have a concert level DJ, there's a lot of stuff going on and it is really cool, but it, there's a distinct energy when the DJ is doing their own thing. When they're constantly in line with the people that are enjoying the music, it's like, it's a totally different vibe as opposed to going to like a marshmallow concert like it's not the same thing as going to a club and having the dj like it's play what they want to play it is one of my favorite things not only as a dj but also as an audience member either being in the flow or seeing another dj in the flow reading the crowd so well um that even if they're playing music that not everyone likes which is another topic you can never play a song that every single person is gonna love they can still keep every single person interactive and into it what about radio djs like late night radio djs those guys are mad good but they can't read their audience they're on the radio not Um, like not like radio djs like and the next song is yeah no no like like magic like like guys who who do actual sets yeah radio so i can't speak to their to their sets i don't listen to, to to much radio um what I can say though is that it's really hard to DJ with no crowd, at least in 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 my opinion. And uh, you've you've been there when I've uh, practiced DJing, and it's very stop and go, figure out a way to transition from this BPM to that PP, uh, BPM, figure out um, like super interesting things that I can do with mixes. But it's for for me DJ practicing is never like a constant flow of two hours of music. It's really working like little parts because it's hard to play so much music without stopping, without an energy flow going around in the room around you. Um, So those guys probably aren't kind of free balling it with the music they pick. I would imagine that they, they absolutely could be. They just have no way of knowing whether or not the crowd is into it and different and different directions that they could go. Cause there are some times that I'm like, I have a song queued up for two and a half minutes 
And last minute, I'm like, I'm going to veer off that path. I'm going to do something else that I think they would like. And they probably don't do much of that because there isn't any, there's, there's, there's not a feedback loop. Um, so they have no idea if so they the have, mood is shifting yeah, or whatever. Yeah, so, so they wouldn't know to, to veer off, do one thing or the other. And still, the, the music that they play and the sets that they do are, are, are great. Um, but I'm sure I, it is just hard to DJ without a crowd to read. Yeah. So they're, so they're playing music that everyone likes because because a lot of it's like top 40 popular mixes, like 50 charts and whatever. Um, so, so, so they can be pretty sure that they're going to play music. One people know and two people like, or else it wouldn't be on the charts except for old town road. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, just kidding. I play it at every gig. (laughs) People, I don't know. That's my favorite song to hate to love. Cause I don't like yeah. it, but like come whenever on, it plays, when it comes I, on. I always, I'm, I'm always singing it for the rest of the night. Oh, I'm going to take hype. my horse to the old town road. Still, I don't know any of the, uh, verses or anything. You don't need to. I got the you horses know. in the back. Yeah. Like that's all you need to know. <laughs> that's yeah. literally all you need horses. to know. Yeah. That's it. No, that song's hype. What else? What other songs like that? Even if it's not anymore, have that effect. Like you put it on and you know, everyone's like. Oh my god, this shit's on right now. Um, in terms of like total classics that like people is it like classics like that, songs that, ha- that like consistently that happens or songs that for, for for some reason a month of time people were obsessed with when it came on and then no one wanted to hear it again. Like does that ever happen to Mobamba? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> people um people wanted that song. I mean, it's been out for longer than a month, obviously. But there it was, didn't even become popular until a year after it released. Yeah, I know. So like, <laughs> it's it's obviously been out a long time, and <laughs> and people absolutely love. It was like the number one most most asked for song, and then just slowly, people s- only started liking the oh huh shit bleh, like that whole yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then like people would only people would only like that part. Like people wouldn't really be into it. Um, another song that I can think about like that that you would think everyone would kind of like sing along to and be happy with is uh, All Star Smash Mouth. Yeah, and just <laughs> no one, no one wants to hear that. But then also like, and so like there are things you learn, and like I will never play All Star unless a lot, a lot of people want it. Um, people still love the Cupid Shuffle. <laughs> like that's just like I like like people ask for that oh all the time. People want the Cupid Shuffle. I play Crank That by Soldier Boy like yeah. all the time. <laughs> like like people people love just hearing songs that they haven't heard in a long time, yeah. but like everyone knows the words to. Um and even if it's not like a club banger kind of song, like Down by Jay Sean, like people yep. go crazy to that song. They haven't heard that song in a long time, but Everyone knows the when lyrics. stuff comes on that people know, but they haven't heard in a while, like songs that were top charts in 2011, 2010. Yeah, it's like, like it's like this songs. Was my middle school jam. Like. It's like songs that were top charts before all of these people at school even knew each other, and it's just like another way to connect That's everyone. An interesting way to look at it. It's like everyone learned Damn. those songs when, like, at a at a at a sorority party. Like, everyone's going to have, like, their friends, and then all their friends are going to have their dates. Like, you as a person probably don't know every single every single sorority girl's date, but 
But if you're out there singing the same song that you both learned a long, long, long ass time ago, that's dug down in your brain, and and then you start jamming to and it, it comes it, out. It, it like it yeah. like really just like fosters uh, a a scene of um, just like fun connection. Yeah, um, Damn, that's cool. Which like isn't trying to turn like a DJ gig into like kindergarten, but it's a fun way to get people to like soften up a crowd a little bit and just get everyone together. Um, cause like, cause like one of my least favorite things as a DJ is seeing like the same, like clicky groups that you would in middle school at like dances kind of bunched up dancing to themselves. Then in another corner, you have a different group of people bunched up to themselves. I would rather have everyone in the middle, like dancing together and songs like down, yeah. um, are just a great way to do that. Everyone knows it. I'll like get people on the mic and sing the uh, Lil Wayne part wow. or like rap the Lil Wayne part and everything. On the it's flip great side, do you see stuff like? Do you, do you notice that different Greek organizations like different songs? Like yes. it's a different vibe at every single one. So those classics are always going to be classics, no matter where you go. But I'm sure that some like a certain type of music more than others, and others like a, a different type of music, even if it's not a huge variation. Or do you find that it's more like week to week? Everybody so, wants the same different songs. So here's here's what I've noticed. It's not week is not being a DJ, it, your music doesn't change as week to week as you think it would. Because people still want to hear songs that they know. If there's a new song out this week or from from last week and I'm doing a gig tomorrow and everyone knows it and everyone wants to hear it and it's that popular after a week, I will I will I will I will play it. But it's 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 more typical for a song to be totally banging after three weeks or a month, something like something like that. Because again, people want to hear songs that they know. I'm sure you've you've been at a party with a DJ that was just playing songs you didn't know, and yeah, you were bobbing your head. But it's not the same as when like you know the most of the songs they're playing. Um, to answer your other question, are different crowds and uh, are frats and sororities different um, in the music they like? I actually did a gig recently uh like right before i left school um to to come back home for the summer and i won't say what organization it was um because it's like it's like not a bad thing it's just something that i've never experienced before they only wanted like the the meme songs you know it's like and they only wanted 20 or 30 seconds of them and so they were super Mm. super like up my ass about like play this song play this song now and then like after like 30 seconds people would be looking at me and like doing the little like home run signal, you know, just like change it up, change it up. And like the chorus isn't even over yet. Like something like that. Why even have a DJ at that point? It's like, like, why pay $300 for someone to basically be your ox bitch for. Yeah. And so, and then it's like, there are times when like I would, so like, um, for example, like, uh, um, all night longer by Sammy Adams. Mm -hmm. Um, that's around one twenty eight like a good like dance BPM, everyone's jumping around. And as I, as I transitioned from, uh, in a, uh, let me love you remix, Justin Bieber from 126 to 100. So I could play hips. Don't lie. Crazy in love. Like some like fun, yeah. all, like also dance songs as I was slowing it down a little bit. And like, as, and as it went down to around, uh, a hundred BPM, People were looking at me. This is too slow. What are you doing? This is like, this is dumb. This is dumb. And then like hips don't lie. Come on, and they're like ah, and run away. So it's like same organization as y- before. Yeah. So it's like people, and then like but every other organization that I've done, 
they were very just like take us on a ride. Yeah. Like like we will follow the flow of energy, which isn't what I would ask for. I wouldn't say like blindly follow me, but I I would say like have have a little bit of faith that what I'm doing will still make for a fun party. Whereas like every little thing that I did for that one crowd, they were skeptical about and it made it kind of hard to DJ. And then I, once I, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be stubborn with it. They're still hiring me to make their parties fun. So when I figure out what they like, then I play it in a style that they want and everyone still ended up having a great time. But that first hour (laughs) was just like a big kind of learning process, trying to figure out, what this crowd wanted because I had never experienced that before. Yeah, so if people open up more, that opens the door for you to take them on a journey to somewhere they didn't even know you could go to. A lot of what I do with an open crowd is playing the songs that they didn't know they wanted to hear. Yeah, it's like that you makes didn't, a lot of sense. It's like you didn't know you wanted to hear this song after that song after that song after that song, but like... At the end of the night, you're saying, damn, that was great music. And it's probably not the playlist you would have chosen for yourself. But if I can just keep the energy going and if people can leave with, with, a, with a smile on their face, then I've done my job, which is exactly why I wasn't stubborn about that one gig being, no, I'm going to keep DJing the way I DJ because this is what I do. It's like, no, I still want people to, to leave with a smile on their face and also hire me again. Yeah. So. <laughs> and if, they, if they're hearing songs that they didn't know that they want to hear, that's almost more like that, again, it feeds back into itself. Like, they're hearing songs they didn't know they wanted to hear. Okay. Okay, they can trust the DJ to play the songs that they want to hear. Because even if they're not thinking it, you still know what they want in their mind. So then people aren't going to find the need to come up to you and pester you to play the songs that they know they want to hear. Which is what the entire thing was. And, like, I'm hearing... It's like, at, at like, one point there was... um, I was doing a mix. I had a cued track in my left ear hearing the 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 playing track in my right ear just through the main speakers. Um, and then there were two girls right in front of me not talking to each other, and they didn't come up together, and they were yelling different songs to me. And I was like, hey, hold on one sec. I'll talk to you in just a sec, like, as I was doing this mix. And it, I was hearing four different things. It's like when you're coming up to me and, like, kind of, like, yelling at me like that and, like, pestering me. It's like, and there are a lot of people that um, – will come up and I'm in the middle of mix. I say, hey, hold on, like, just just one sec. I, I like, finish that mix in five or six seconds, then I'm, hey, what's up? Like, what do you want to hear, yeah. you know? So you're open to it, but when I'm, people are, like, up your ass about it, it gets annoying. That I'll makes say, sense. I'll say two things. I'm open to requests, but they're also just requests. You know, a lot of people, like, ask for music that would completely murder the mood, that would completely murder the vibe. And something that only they want to hear. Yep. And um, a lot of times, if you if you tell people like no, or I'll, or I'll 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 try to work it in, or I don't have it, or some or this that and the other, just DJs out there will know you make a lot of excuses for why you can't play their song. Um, but when people just pester and pester and pester and pester, at some point you just have to say no, go dance. Which like sucks to do as a DJ because yeah. then that person's not going to leave as happy as they would have, but like, I'm still doing a job. Let me do my job. And so what I'm thinking for my future gigs actually is, um, it's just like having, I mean, it's, it's going to be super old school, but just have a, have a piece of paper 
And just have people write it down. Just like write it down. And I'll like look at it. And and there's sometimes people say a song and I'm like, oh my God, like that song is buried in my library. I forgot about that song. I love that song. That's perfect for the mood. And the song plays next. I am totally open to taking um to to taking songs from the audience, but it's only when I see that it'll even has a potential to to fit in. It's like I'm very open about that and if I am kind of skeptical about a song, I'll listen to it. If I'm like, you know what, maybe half the people will like this, then I'll I'll still find a way to work it in. And if people are loving it, I'll leave it on longer. If people aren't, then I'll then I'll move then I'll move out of it faster. But it's those songs that like that like people want me to play that just like completely are out of the mood that I'm like, listen, I love this song. Like it could be a song I absolutely love, and I still wouldn't play it. Because, like, my job as a DJ is to keep the energy flow. Right, which makes sense. Like, that's what you're there to do. If someone else that isn't being paid to be there wants to interrupt that process, like... Yeah, or else... It's not your They would just have an iPod to, on an aux cord. Right, exactly. Yeah. So... Right, what were we talking about? Let's talk DJing. about photography now. Because you moved into photography. We talked about it a little Could bit you? earlier with... Um, your thing that you were going to do with Christian French that ended up falling through. But it got you motivated... It got you motivated to get into photography. You got your own camera. You started hustling to learn the basics. Um, the thing with Christian fell through. Yeah. You continued to shoot photography. Started doing some videography. Um, you did some stuff with drones. You broke some stuff with drones. You don't do drones anymore. Indeed. Actually, the, <laughs> my, my drone is, uh, is sitting in a storage unit back in Indiana uh, when I get back there because I didn't have space to take it home. My car was like literally packed to the brim. Uh, me and me and my girlfriend, we like bought it together. It's like a, it's like the lowest level DJI. The DJI Spark, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spark. They sell the Mavics uh, at the Apple Store. I saw it when I was picking up your laptop. Dude, day. I saw Isn't that. that yeah, I was like, I want one so. It's bad. like every time oh I see God. a drone that isn't the Spark, I'm like, I want that because the Spark like kind of sucks. But I also just like I I wouldn't use it enough to yeah. I, like I don't make money off of it. Like I make money off my camera. So it's like I'm okay investing in like like a couple thousand dollars and like a camera and a few good lenses because I know like over time it's going to pay off. Maybe not as fast as I want it to. Like you shoot one or two weddings and you can buy like $3,000 worth of gear and have it paid off. Like $1,500 for, for, a, for a high-end wedding isn't, isn't like crazy price. So, um, But you're not a drone photographer it's by like, any means. So I'm, you just had it for I'm fun. not a drone photographer. Yeah. I don't I do not do real estate currently. If I did, I'd probably just go with a rental unless it was like a super consistent gig. Yeah. But at this point, yeah, right, uh, right now, um, one of the sensors is busted because we flew it when it was too cold. Um, so it'll, f- uh, it'll take – no, it'll fly, but it won't take video. But we know that the camera sensor – is okay. So, um, it's just like the, the, the video feed just like won't go through. So but the sensor's it, okay. It's just, yeah, no, sorry. It's just not one, displaying video. one of, one of these sensors, not, not the specific camera sensor or like some, some, some connection is busted. Oh, so okay. yeah. So like if we, if we send it up and shoot video, we can, we like take it back down. We, we, we check the, 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 the micro SD and there's, and there's stuff on it. Um, 
but we can't. But you can't see it in real time. But we can't see the video <laughs> feed in in real time. And then like one of the wings is like slightly cracked. Yeah. Still flies you fine. Need wings. Who needs wings for no, a where you? Not, not, for an not aeronautical device? No. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna send it in and get it uh, and get it serviced by DJI, and then honestly probably sell it. <laughs> I know. So or or sell it broken, whichever one would be more lucrative. You can buy them for parts on eBay. Which means you can sell them for parts on eBay because when you buy something, someone else is selling it to you. Usually, that's how it works. Typically, when like something is bought, someone someone's else is selling, selling it. it. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, so, well, anyway, I am, so I am out of <laughs> I am out of the drone you're game not right in the, now. You never entered the drone game really, but you played around with it a little bit. Yeah, it's I mean, fun, it was, but it's not. Like, it was lucrative. dope. But I was also really disappointed with the quality, which is what I would expect from a four hundred dollar drone. Which, like, for people who aren't drone people, you would probably hear that and say, what, $400? That's a lot of money for a camera. It's like, for a drone, no. Like, <laughs> it's like you need, it's like you're 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 spending $1,000 up if you want, like, good cinematic quality yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and DJI software as well, like, with drones is, I mean, I, they're really the only one of two companies that I follow that makes drones. Um, the other one, what's not the other being, unique, not being a unique, they're not, they're not a consumer company. Um, they make, drones. are they the ones that make like octocopter, the octocopters that hold, um, cinema cameras? No, they're, I completely they, forgot so it's, what it's, it's this company called Greensight Agronomics and they are a drone agriculture surveillance company. I want to say, I don't know. Oh, exactly. I'm curious how that works. So what they do is they um, they work all over North America and they use drones to look at golf courses and farms. And they use a technology in their drones to determine where more water and chemicals need to go to make irrigation more efficient. So in areas of the country where there's huge water crises going on, yeah, um, that's obviously. it's really, really important to make sure you're using your water and your chemicals efficiently. And I've never really thought about does. that because there's not – exactly a lot of farmland around around massachusetts yeah. but like i can see that Boston. being it's like i can see that being being a huge industry like especially in the midwest and like indiana and whatnot yeah so they don't do like consumer drones but in terms of dji um i've heard really good things about the software that they use to control their drones especially on like the lower level uh, oh yeah it the was. Phantom. i don't know how their professional stuff stacks up or if it's even like industry standard but in terms of um sort of entry-level drone enthusiasts oh it was great Mavic, phantom it was spark people have a lot of fun with them it was easy to use else. it was fun as hell battery life was only 14 minutes so like that was kind of a killer we have two extras now but then like it then we we broke it um and i for a drone i would probably sell sell everything get as much money for the spark as i could and then if i wanted another drone i would i would not skimp on quality my my thought behind it was like I've always wanted a drone. It can add a, like a, a a some some value to to what I do. I can make a little money off of it, getting some new shots and real estate and whatever. And um, but it wasn't even to a quality that I would deliver to a client. And it's the perfect quality for backyard someone who wants a drone to have fun drone videos. But as someone who would only get a drone for client use i'm 
I mean, which would probably sound dumb because like it's like you wouldn't only buy a camera to use it for client use. Right. It's like you buy a camera so you can shoot photography. But I don't have a passion for for drone photography or drone videography. It's just not really something I do. If a client wanted it, I would rent it. Um, so what's like the – just back over to what you do do with the regular photography. Yeah. What has been your progression since you bought that first camera when you thought you were going to be shooting for Christian? From that point, what has been the evolution of um, cameras that you got over the last year that you've been interested in photography? Like in terms of equipment upgrades because it's a relatively short amount of time to be involved with the hobby yeah. and like even – starting to make money off so it already. Even, so it's been under a year. Um, it's only been about eight months since I really started getting into it. Like I said, I had like my first paid gig in late November of last year. Um, I started with my mom's T2i by Canon. Then that, that first camera that I was talking about um, for the whole Christian French video gig was a Panasonic G7. Um it's it's a great camera. It's just that I don't do a lot of video. I'm much more photo. Um, it's a micro four thirds sensor with not great low light quality and a Explain lot what of what I shoot is low light. A lot oh yeah, of people don't sorry. know what micro four thirds means. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not. What makes it good. I'm not used light. to. Yeah, yeah. We can do this like uh, the Reddit. Uh, uh, explain it like I'm five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain yeah. it like like I'm five. Okay, so. I hope you just spit out your water. <clears throat> I like it in my lungs. All right. Micro four thirds. You are not a mean? fish. Okay. So uh, every, every camera has a sensor and that sensor is what actually picks up the, the, the light that's being bent by the lens um, to, to hit the full sensor. And there are different sensor sizes. Uh, what's, what's considered f- uh, f- a full frame camera is 35 ish millimeters by something else. Um, and, and then there's a crop sensor, which is APS-C. It's just called APS-C crop, which um, is what like the T2i, the Canon ADD, um, just like a lot of – Entry-level DSLR. Of, yeah, it's like the, 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 the whole um, Sony A, A6000 series. Those are all crop sensor cameras. And basically what that means is that um, – with smaller sensor size, um, you're picking up less less light per pixel, um, because so so say you have a 24 megapixel camera full frame, those micron the like uh, those those pixels are going to be a certain size to fill up that 35 millimeter sensor with pixels. If you have that exact same number of pixels in a smaller area every single pixel has to be smaller and can therefore pick up less light. Um, and so a micro four thirds is exactly half the size of a full frame sensor. So it's, um, and, and this isn't a hard and fast rule with camera technology changing as, 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 as rapidly as it is. Um, but in, in theory, uh, Micro Four Thirds cameras are less capable of picking up low light images cleanly um, without a lot of grain um, than than full frame cameras. Now that's actually 
it's the other way around for for mine because my full frame camera takes really really bad low light video. It takes great low light photos, which is why I absolutely love it. Um, but the low light video just isn't it just isn't there. But it's not what you bought it for. So exactly. It's, so it's a different purpose. Yeah. And yeah, and so people if if people are looking for amazing low light cameras, they should go Sony. 100%. The Sony A7S2, one of the most famous low light cameras. Um, and now the, uh, the, 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 the whole Sony, um, a seven three, a seven R three line are great. They just announced the a seven R four. We're still waiting for the a seven S three. Um, so there was actually a, a Hollywood movie that was going to be mostly low light, like the entire movie. And they shot it on, on a seven S twos. And I completely forgot the name of the movie. We could mm. look it up after, um, but how much does one of those cost? Like just for reference, a seven S two seventeen hundred bucks on so it's a used very on affordable eBay. camera. That yeah, then you get a then you get a nice lens with it. Nice another twelve fourteen hundred bucks. Because uh, if you think of like a um, like very actual high cinema end cameras, cinema like a red camera, reds you know, running you reds Aries orders of magnitude more money yeah. than this thing. That's cool. Yeah. That's so, cool. and is it good for low light photos as well? You don't own one. The but. oh yeah, they're they're absolutely amazing cameras. The only reason that I don't own them, um, one because I'm already on Nikon, and I at this point I'm just not inclined enough to sell all of my stuff to have enough money to switch to Sony. Um, but also I I would 100% shoot video on mirrorless cameras. Um, and for, and for people who don't know the difference between, uh, mirrorless and DSLR cameras, I'll explain that in just a moment. Um, I would hundred percent shoot video on mirrorless, but I need that physical action of the DSLR camera to, to, for, for, for my photography to feel interactive and correct and like, and like feel good. Um, I also don't like, um, having the electronic viewfinder as the only option, which is just the way mirrorless cameras are. Um, I like looking through, looking through the viewfinder and actually seeing what's exactly in my eye. And if my exposure's off, I'll change it. Um, as opposed to seeing the exact image, um, as it will be taken by the sensor. And so for people who don't know the difference between mirrorless and DSLR cameras in, in mirrorless cameras, if you take off the lens, you are looking directly at the sensor. The sensor is always on, and when you look through the, the viewfinder, you're actually looking at you're, – you're, you're not looking at what's in front of you. You're, you're looking at what the, can, what the sensor is actively picking up. So it's like basically like a little TV inside that, that, that eye monitor. Um, and so if your shutter speed is super slow, that, that little TV is going to have a super, super low frame rate. Um, but on the other hand, you're going to see your exact exposure. If you're overexposed, you'll see it. If you're underexposed, you'll see it. Whereas a DSLR camera, you take off the lens and you're looking at a mirror that's actually shining the image that's directly in front of the lens up through the viewfinder and physically into your eye. And then when you want to take a picture, the camera flips up and the sensor opens so that the camera can pick, can actually pick up the, the, the light and then the sensor shuts and the camera flips back down. So there is a blackout time where you can't see anything. Um, but I don't know what it is, but I would much rather have that than, um, than the, the mirrorless. 
it seems like it, it comes down to personal preference. Yeah, it, huge it, benefit of mirrorless. I've heard it really is, is personal autofocus preference. speed. Oh, the, if you need really fast. Sony autofocus, autofocus is ridiculous now, it, and like uh, Canon dual pixel in their in their um, high mid slash high end cameras um, is absolutely amazing. But Sony's doing it. Sony is getting there at a faster rate. They're putting more more tech into their cameras. They now they now have continuous eye autofocus um, for all of their cam- for mo- for all of their newer cameras. Um, and it's, just, it's like it's just crazy fast and crazy accurate. So that is something that I would love to have. Um, and someday I may go mirrorless, but right now um, I'm just currently going to stick with my Nikon. Um, but yeah, what, what you're asking about, like micro four thirds and, um, and, and that camera, it's like, I, I love the camera, the Panasonic G7, and it has amazing features, but I'm just not huge into video. And also if I go the photo video route, I would love to do it on one camera because I have the Panasonic with its own set of lenses and my Nikon with its own set of lenses. And it's a one, it's a lot to carry around and it's a lot to just like physically handle. It takes up a lot of space. Like my camera backpack is crazy heavy because I have two sets of lenses. If I could have half the lenses and half the bodies and be able to shoot photo and video on one camera, I would probably shoot more video to be honest with you. And most people still carry around a backup though, right? Of the same camera or something with a compatible yep. lens mount. Yeah. When I shoot weddings, um, I, I always rent another full frame Nikon so I can use my current lenses on it. Cause I, cause I don't have, I don't have a backup photo body right what, now currently. What full frame Nikon, are you sh- I don't know if you said it already, but what are you shooting on actively when you're doing like your most professional work? Nikon D600. Nikon if I don't D600. like rent something else, that's just what I have. Um, I, I love it for the low light, the D850. Um, I don't need that many megapixels. It was out of my budget when I got it. The D750, um, I don't know why I didn't get that, to be honest with you. It's, uh, I mean, it's a fantastic camera. I've, I've used it before. Um, I just ended up, I, I, I bought it used on eBay. So it was kind of just like what was there at the time. Um, I got an amazing, um, used version of the D600. There were only about, uh, 6,000, sh- sh- uh, shutter clicks on it. Um, I think it's rated up to 150 K or 200 K shutter clicks which is a really give or take kind of number. Sometimes they shit the bed at 70. Now, is that sometimes the they sit the bed. Some, like sometimes they'll still be going at a million. You never know. So That's how many times it's rated to be. Uh, to How many pictures you can take. With yeah, it, it's, basically, like, it's basically like, the, it's like how many pictures you can take before the, the, that, that camera flipping up shutter m- mechanism um, breaks and you have to get a new camera, which is why you always have a backup when you're shooting big gigs. Because if that happens while you're working, you're completely screwed. That is a huge advantage of mirrorless. Huge, huge, huge. Is that that can't happen? Just less moving pieces. Right. I mean, they can have other problems. It's not to say that they're uh, completely, um, like, able to avoid any kind of technical error. Yeah, so it's... um, But, like, that's one problem mirrorless shooters don't have to worry about. Huh. What I like that you've done with photography, which is a little bit different from what you've done on the audio side, is audio you sort of got a passion for at some point in the middle of high school. You went through high school being more and more interested in it, and then you went to college for it. 
photography, you picked up on sort of out of the blue. It was just a thing you wanted to do. It wasn't something that you had any prior interest in. And you just sort of worked with what you had and kept building on it and then built up a clientele of people using the network that you had at school and people, I'm assuming the, the, the bands that you were shooting for were people that you worked closely with or tangentially with and met through what you were doing at school. hundred percent. So you were just leveraging that and building off of it and I got like, it. developing your hobby through clientele just sort of out of nowhere in eight months, which is kind of cool. Thank you. It's like, I, I, it's like the reason I got into the music scene, it's cause I am in the music scene out at school. It's like, I'm in audio. I am in the music scene. I know tons and tons of the local bands. They're the people that I have classes with, the people that I eat lunch with, the people I'm in class. I already said that. <laughs> so many classes with class them. again after <laughs> lunch. Literally class again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's like, and and those were the people that were willing to give me a chance. And so that's kind of why I, I got into the music scene. And actually when I started shooting, like you said, I was really just working with what I had. I, for the first three or four months, I was not shooting on my own camera. I was shooting on my roommate's Canon T5. So in I, terms of... I did not like shooting uh, photos on my G7. I didn't have great lenses for, for low light. Was that the one you borrowed, the G7? Was that, the, that wasn't the, your camera, right? The G7 is the video one that I own that I got for Christian French. Okay. The very first That's one. That's the Panasonic camera. Yeah. Okay. And the, the Canon T5, the, the kid had... Um, the kid just had Canon T5 and a kit lens, and that's and I like developed a style of part long exposure photography with flash, with the with the on camera flash because I didn't even because uh, neither of us had an an, an off camera flash, um, and I was able to get amazing results and people really liked that. I saved up some money from doing those gigs and bought a camera that that better suit my needs. Um, and for camera people out there. I could 100%, I could night and day tell the difference between ISO 400 and ISO 800. And 400 was usable and 8 was not. Um, now with the Nikon D600, even though it's, I think, six or seven years old, um, a very, at this point, cheap body, because um, it's been upped by the 610 and because it's so old, um, I don't have to worry about ISO until I get to typically 2500. Which, in term, for people who don't know, in terms of shooting in low light, the difference between 800 and 2500 is a huge difference. In what huge, you huge difference. Yeah. yeah. Like, especially in low light. So, in terms of what, if, if someone else were to be interested in either of the two main things that you do, whether it be, or outside of your, uh, actually, let's talk about because there's three things that you do. You do you do some production as well. I do. I want to talk about that as yeah. well because that's that's a huge part of kind of what you're up to right now, and it's probably the biggest component of what Endion Media Group is, which is like yeah, it's a lot of photography, yeah. and like Endion is the artist name that I came up with um, for my music, which I have dropped not enough of. Um, I'm three and a half songs into a five song EP. That'll be like my first official, like big drop. I have one song out now. Um, but the reason that it's Endion media is because my artist name was Endion. Um, and then I kind of got sidetracked with photo and video and DJing and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I do so many different things and I know so many different people and I can help clients in so many different ways that though it isn't a traditional, like 
large media company. I'm not officially a company. If you search Endion Media online, it's going to go to my website and you'll see the services that I offer. And I can, I can, I can do a lot for people for not a lot of money because I'm, I'm not a professional in any of these things. I'm still in college. But when people need someone to take photos, when people need a DJ, I can, I can show up and do the job. So, um, and there are a lot of things that I can't do that I offer and I have people that do them. Um, I have, uh, two friends that do graphic design. They're absolutely amazing at it. And I could never do that myself, but they're partnered with me because they would never get their own graphic design gigs. That's just like not really what they do. But after seeing their work, um, I'm like, this is an amazing thing to offer for Endion Media. Would you be interested in this? Straight up. Not so, a tough sell. No, not at all. Because they're like, well, we weren't going to make money off of it, but now that we can, <laughs> sure. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's really not, not hard to convince them to do it. We have three DJs, two photographers, and we have actually a, a, a whole studio that um, if, if I can't handle the either the, the project or the amount of projects, then we send them to um, Sleepless Studios. And you're expecting to be keeping pretty busy once you go back to school in three weeks? Three weeks-ish, yeah. Um, honestly, I'm not really expecting anything. I've gone through really – I've gone through weeks where I literally do stuff seven days a week. I've gone through months where I do like one or two things. At this point, I'm just trying to like reach out to more clients, get my online presence bigger, get my on-campus presence bigger – um, and really just actually start building a clientele and word of mouth. Cause that's how 90% of the jobs will come. It's just word of mouth. So I just need to keep doing more, even if it's free work, because at this point I don't have a steady stream of clients coming to me. So I need to go to them and put my name out there more. What do you think about, have you ever been on like uh, Reddit choosing beggars? You ever seen those things? Where people oh, will like message yeah, yeah. graphic designers or whatever on Instagram and say, Hey, can you develop this. I don't have any money, but you'll get so much exposure like doing this for me. Yeah. How do you, so but you're, you're here saying that you are sometimes for doing that. What's the difference between someone who's just asking for you to do them favors? Wait, what do you mean? So for doing, you were just saying sometimes you will do stuff for free for exposure. Yes. There's a huge community of people on Reddit that make fun of people that ask for things for free from artists in exchange for exposure. So how do you know so, if you're walking into something that actually is valuable to you where if someone's paying you, obviously you know going into it how much you're getting out of it and you know how much you're going to put into it. If you're doing something for free sort of in exchange for exposure, I guess you could say, how do you predict going into it that you're not getting the short end of the stick in that? Or is that just a risk you have to take? So one, it is kind of a risk you have to take, um, for bigger artists that come through, um, these, these bars that I shoot, I'll reach out and, and, um, offer them free, free photos because they don't know me. I, I am, I am not a huge photographer. I shoot local bands. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not some, some, someone so big that they would pay me to shoot them because they know it would get cross exposure. I'm just not that big yet. Like it's, it's, it's not feasible of me to reach out to these big artists. Um, 
and and say that and it would it would be shot down so um at this point it's like a lot of and a lot of what i started with free stuff it was like friends bands and so when i was doing that it was like it's like i wouldn't even feel comfortable taking that money because i didn't see myself as value yet and i would like shooting them was honestly like practice and then when i was like okay that like like I feel like I'm at a point where I can start doing this now for money. Then that's when I told them like when they're like, Hey, we're, we have a show tonight at blah, blah, blah. Do you want to come shoot? I'll say, yeah. Um, give me started like $40. I'll be there for two hours, $40, whatever. And then I'll edit them up and send them to you tomorrow. And then like a band that I've never shot for comes to me. Hey, can you shoot our show? We saw that you shot the show for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. hundred dollars. I'll be there for two hours, two and a half hours, whatever. And so it's like you – I can't see myself getting that exposure or getting that practice while still kind of forcing paid gigs because especially in, in the college music scene, there's no money. There's, there's barely any money. These, these, these guys are getting paid. Yeah, these, yeah. these guys are barely making any money doing, doing the shows themselves. So, I mean, could I in – in theory have charged from the beginning. Yes. Um, but I don't think it would have been the, the best way for, for me to go about it to practice photography. So at this point, now that you are charging for stuff, have you run into any problems with people resisting paying? Yes. Um, I was, uh, being home this summer, um, there was someone who, uh, from my high school reached out, um, said, Hey, we're having a birthday party. Um, we saw that you DJ a lot. We would love for you to come DJ. I was like, okay, great. Like, that's awesome. Thanks for reaching out. Happy birthday. Um, where's it going to be? How long do you want me there? They gave me a time. I gave them a rate plus a little high school discount. I took, it was going to be like $400. I gave it, I was going to do like 350 or whatever. Um, just because I knew that like they were probably going to be hesitant to pay anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't uh, someone you were tight with in high school not at all either, right no just a random yeah and um i and they immediately were like oh we thought you were gonna do this for free and at that point i was like like no this is my job this is what i do and so people people will ask for like favors like that you know but yeah it's like there's a very select amount of people that i would do that for like i would i would do it for you you asked me to shoot your linkedin headshot profile if someone else, if someone I had never heard of came to me and said, "Hey, can we do a shoot for my LinkedIn headshot, whatever?" Then yeah, I would charge them. But for like, but for you, it's like you came over, you brought me Chipotle, you pet my dogs, you vacuumed my floor, yeah. and I shot your headshot. Like, but you haven't whatever. encountered anyone being rude about it, short of asking for something for free. No one really. I mean, come, has anyone ever come back at you, just for example, in this situation, and been like, "Oh, like, come on, like." I thought you do this for free. Like we went to high school together. Are you serious? Like you're seriously going to charge me and been like uncomfortable about it or no, I'm super stern about it. It's like, I, I have a value. That's something that people like kind of, it's like, it's something people need to realize, but I also think it's something people have realized. It's like, that's not me saying like, no one realizes I have value, but I do. It's, it's me saying like, I say I have value. And if and for the few people who like don't see that and are kind of taken off guard by it, I'm confident enough in my value that they're not going to try to like whittle me down. So that must um, be huge in terms of 
focusing on your growth yeah. within what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Is that sense. like uh, having value and um, it's like at some point, every person who does um, who who DJs, videography, photography, audio engineering, music production, whatever, you're gonna get offered a gig for shit pay and you're gonna turn it down. And when you get to a point where you can turn it down, that's when you start seeing value. But there's also a point before that where you'll get offered a gig the, for shit pay and you'll do it because you wanna do it, get practice. Exactly. Real experience. Huh. So what in terms of these three things that you do, right? Yeah. Let's let's wrap this up a little bit. Sure. Photography, DJing, and just general production. If you were to give advice to someone who is listening to this right now and is, has been interested in any of those things, what's something from each of those fields, even if you know the average person that's interested in one of them isn't going to become the next Endion Media Group and form something as cohesive as what you have, but just those individual hobbies, if they wanted to develop them further as a hobby, become better at it, or get into the business of doing it for money, what what sorts of advice, tips and tricks, whatever might you have for those people? Um, yeah, I can, I can go through just each one. For uh, photo, it's learn how to use your camera inside and out. You need to understand the exposure triangle. You need to understand that aperture, shutter, and ISO all control one part of exposure and have one side effect. Um, it's like, I have a, I have a free ebook, um, that covers that and specifically goes over the, um, the Canon T2i, um, and, um, and it really breaks down, uh, just like simple, simple lighting techniques and stuff like that. It's just like, learn, learn how to use your camera. It's like, get off automatic, get off shutter priority, get off, get off aperture priority, force yourself to to shoot manual and a lot of the photos you take are going to be bad but then when you get into a situation where you need to snap a photo like that and it's like a quick like fleeting moment then you'll know exactly what you're doing so that's one thing for DJs I would say don't focus on your mixes as much as um, song choice you could have the best song the best mixes and you could be crazy at scratching and effects and all that. And if you're playing music, people don't want to hear people don't want to hear you DJ, you know? So I'd say focus on song choice and figuring out your demographic and your crowd and crowd reading for audio engineering. That's a geez. tough one. Yeah. Cause it's not something that people just like pick up and do. Yeah. And you have the opportunity um, to have the courses in high school to get involved and then went to college for it. Yeah. What would I even say about that? Um, for audio engineering, figure out your process. It took me a while to figure out my process and what worked for me in terms of creating songs from scratch. Um, and like a, a big part of that was creating chord progressions that, I liked and that were different. And part of the way I got by that was using MIDI packs 
buying MIDI packs and then taking that MIDI and be like, oh, I really like that chord progression. And now I mess it up and change change the notes to how I want them and change the melodies to how I want them and note length and BPM and all that. And then I have a basis for a song that I actually like. So really just kind of figure out your process, figure out what your bottlenecks are and find a way to get past them. So I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of information there, but yeah. no, I think we've had a, a good talk though. Yeah. A lot of insight has come out of it. It's a good yeah. little basic overview of what Endion Media is all about, and yeah. a little bit about it's your like, background, Matt. I think it's been it's like tough to give like little pieces of advice because there's a he, lot to it. Because each like DJ photo and and like audio engineering are so are such deep topics. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's tough. That was a good question. I have to think about that sometime. All right, well, I'll have you back on at some point in the future. Absolutely. We, can, ca- we, can, then, we can catch up again. It's been real. For sure. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you guys so much for listening today. You can find out more about Matt Teeden and Endion Media by following him on Instagram at Endion Media. And you can find out more about me and stay updated with the podcast by following me on Instagram or Twitter at John Craffy Pod. It's the Who Are You People podcast. I'm really excited to be doing this with you guys, and it was great talking to Matt today. Don't forget to tune in next time for the next episode. Peace.